Hey everybody, Amy here. Um, this is just a general disclaimer before you get into the podcast. Um, if you are easily triggered by descriptions of murder, graphic detail, or it's just not your thing, um, feel free to skip this episode and listen to one of our previous episodes or you can also check out our guys at Master POS Theater and just join us on the next one. Um, so just a disclaimer, this is for mature audiences only, 18 years plus. Um, your listener discretion is advised. Thanks so much and we hope you enjoy the episode. Hey, Ashy. Hey, Amy. How you doing? I'm good. I'm peeling taters. Yeah, I see. I see. Gotta eat, gotta eat. Yeah. And gotta record while we're at it. Yeah, we got this. Multitasking at its finest. Because, you know, it's fall. Indeed it is. So what you cooking? I am making chili, cornbread, and fried potatoes. If that ain't a southern meal, I ain't never heard one before. Well, you know how we roll. Um... (laughs) But, you know, fall's in the air. It's October. My favorite time of year. Me both, boo. It's a spooky time. Yeah, I love it. So, tonight's going to be one of those nights where it's like, you know, chili, cornbread, and hocus pocus. That's what I'm talking about. Maybe Halloween time while I'm at it. (laughs) I like it. So. So, we uh, got a spooky one for you tonight, y'all. We do. Um, When I was going through and I was, I was... Thinking about the serial killers that I could do for the month of October, this one really stuck out to me because most people, or a lot of people, I should say, are afraid of clowns. I hate clowns. Okay. You know this. I do. And how I can stand to watch it, I don't know. <laughs> but, yeah, that's um, a tough watch. It, it's funny. I hate clowns. But, yeah, I can sit there and watch it. No problem. Does not bother me. I love Pennywise. Pennywise is fucking bomb. Probably one of my favorite horror characters. Um, But yet, when it comes to clowns, Amy don't play. I do not like them. I do not like dolls that look like clowns. I do not like actual clowns. They are creepy. Well, it's it's funny that you mentioned Pennywise because it is an a very good chance that Stephen King got the idea of Pennywise from this particular killer. Is it the killer I'm thinking of? Are we talking about John Wayne Gacy? We are. <gasps> Yay! We are. Um, based on the time frame of when Stephen King Was wrote Pen- um, it, it's a very good chance that... Because Stephen King's never outright said, yeah, I got the idea of Pennywise from... From from Gacy, but it's it, it it's, it's a good chance. Hard to say that he didn't. Right. <clears throat> hard to say that. Now I do want to just admit, doing the research for this particular killer, I really went into a rabbit hole. Did you know? And it and it really 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 twisted my head a little bit. Um, one of our listeners, Tia, recommended a book, and I know that I've talked about it on on air before. Um, it's called The Last Victim by Jason Moss. 
And in this book, um, Mr. Moss wrote to uh, several serial killers um, that were locked up during that time frame. Um, One of which was John Wayne Gacy, of course. Um, He wrote to Charles Manson, if you consider Manson. Manson is not a serial killer. Yeah. He's a cult leader. There's a difference. Um, he was locked up for murder, so he wrote to him. He wrote to Jeffrey Dahmer, and he wrote to Richard Ramirez. Okay. <clears throat> so the Night Stalker and the Texas Chainsaw Massacre and... Oh, no, Jeffrey Dahmer. I'm thinking Ed Gein. Yeah. My bad. <laughs> but... Um, Same thing. Yeah. <laughs> but... They all uh, killed a lot of people. Yeah. Lots of murders. Okay. And some of them made, it, made <laughs> some of their victims' faces. Yeah. Um... At least one of those people were cannibals, but, you know, that's neither here nor there. Um, And in those communications, because he wanted to be in the criminal justice world, so he said, this would be the perfect beginning for that. I'm going to start, and I'm going to try to get into the mind of these serial killers. Right. Doing one of those will get to you. Yeah, but doing all of those. Multiply all of those with all of those mental instabilities together. Don't tell me anything about the book yet because I haven't read it yet. Yeah, I'm not going to tell anything on it. Um, I do know that the author did kill himself. So, I mean, that's common knowledge, but. Yeah, Um, and it's, it's, Gacy was the one that really, really really fucked fucked with this guy. Um, Of course, I'm not going to give away anything because I think you should. Everybody should read this book if you are interested in this. And if you're listening to this, you are interested, obviously. So pick that book up. um, Read it. Um, If you don't read and you like movies, it's also a movie based on it called Dear Mr. Gacy. Um, Basically, moral of the story is he wrote this. He wrote these serial killers. It's about their communication. At first, when I was reading it, I said, this cannot be true. Who would want to write all of these people at one time. And then I got to researching it, and he did write all of these people. And in 2010, he ended up, like you mentioned, offing himself, committing suicide. Um, so that tells you last victim kind of fits. Yeah. Uh, fits that book very, very well. Now, uh, I did watch another movie on Gacy. It's simply called Gacy. Uh, I did a lot of research with, like, Wikipedia, uh, reading my serial killers book that I talk about basically on every (laughs) every one. And my uh, my niece actually had an encyclopedia of serial killers, which is really, really cool to me. Yep. Um, Shout out to Layla. And... um, not my Layla. Not your Layla. My Layla is still a little bit <laughs> no, she, too young. Yeah, <laughs> way too young. Um, but uh, anyway, she uh, she had an encyclopedia of serial killers. So, of course, I had to be like, you know what? We're getting ready to do Gacy. Let me just read what it says about Gacy. Right. Then I went down the rabbit hole and I, I read what it said about Albert Fish. And I kind of found more information on Albert Fish than that book had. Just, we'll have to revisit saying. Albert Fish at some point love in the future. It. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. So, anyway. Continue. 
Let's hear about John Wayne where, Gacy. We're going to hear about the killer clown. Yeah. How about that? All right, guys. How so about that? Grab your bowl of cereal, your your Fruit Loops, your Lucky Charms, and buckle in because it's going to be down. a ride. It's going to be a ride, and hope you got the stomach for it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, lots of. Whew. Okay, so we're going to start off from the beginning. Okay. Okay. Um, I John, find that's usually the best place to start. Yeah. So John Wayne Gacy was born on uh, March the 17th of 1942. He was born in Chicago, Illinois, and he was the second child and the only son of John Stanley Gacy and Mary and Elaine Robinson. They ended up having three children together, a daughter, a son, and then a daughter. His father was a mechanic and a World War I veteran. So, so he's a real hard ass. Yeah. Little bit of a hard ass. I'm just pretty sure by dad was that. kind of fucked up from being in World War One. So I mean, right? I mean, just from saying those two things, you can kind of trauma probably guess central. Yeah, yeah. His mother was a a homemaker, so just she's going to say his mom was a hoe. No, I mean she may have been. I don't know. I don't know her mama. I don't know his mama, but <laughs> um, she stayed home and took care of the kids. Um. He was very close to his two sisters and his mother, uh, but he did have quite a difficult relationship. Um, Like I said, he was very close to his two sisters and his mother, but he had a very difficult relationship with his father. As you mentioned, World War One, you've already got some shit going on. Oh, yeah. Um, You've seen some shit. Yeah. Um, His father was an alcoholic, and his father was also physically... And verbally abusive to his wife and all three of the kids. Okay. So um, definitely not a good upbringing. No. Not a good and home environment. I can only imagine being that John was the only son. Yeah. That that probably made it to where he took a lot of that, maybe. Yeah. Um, because. <laughs> definitely not good on a developing mind. No. No, 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 no. Um. It said that he seldom received his father's approval, and he recalled that no matter what he achieved, he was never good enough in his father's eyes. His father regularly belittled him, calling him dumb and stupid, and compared him unfavorably to his sisters. So despite that, though, Gacy always said that he never hated his father. He never said, I hate my dad. Hmm. Never. But going back to that, he definitely had reasons he to hate his, some, his, his some father. Issues. Because uh, Gacy's earliest childhood memory was of being beaten at four years old. Um, and all that he did was disarrange some uh, engine components that his father had assembled. So, I mean, like most four. men, I, I would figure being a dad, you'd be kind of glad your kid's taking an interest in something that you're working on. At four. Yeah. At four. Come on. You're yeah, not really. Anyway, <laughs> like I could understand if the kid did something that was gonna like hurt himself or hurt somebody else, and then whooping his tail. Like, no, dude, you don't need to do that. Stop. Mm-hmm. But just because your kid took an interest in something, yeah, I think that's kind of. Um, this next one may give us some reasoning behind some of the things that he did. Um, he was struck across the head with a broomstick and he was rendered unconscious by his father. So, hello, mental issue, brain trauma. Hello. Yeah. <laughs> um, when Gacy 
was six. As most little boys do, they don't understand money. They don't understand things like that. Yeah. Um, he stole a truck from a neighborhood store. And then, mind you, this is the 40s. late 40s, early yeah. 50s. Right. Right. I mean, I, I feel like it's normal. Like, kids are going to try to do that because they don't understand well, then back it. Then They're you learning. could easily get in a vehicle. It doesn't, times were different yeah. back then. Absolutely. Way different than they are now. Absolutely. Now, when his mom found out, his mom did make him go take the truck back to the store and made him apologize to the owners and take ownership and make it a lesson learned kind of situation. Now, is this a real truck or is this a toy truck? A toy truck. Oh, okay. It's a toy I was about truck. to say, because I'm just sitting here picturing this six-year-old hot wire and a Chevy pickup. No, this <laughs> is a toy truck. Okay. And um, so his mother found out, made him return it, made him apologize, lesson learned. Don't do this again. But of course, she Ooh, had... my cornbread's done. <laughs> Hold that thought. Go check on the cornbread. Okay, sorry about that. <laughs> no problem. The cornbread called. <laughs> so once his mother told his father, because obviously both parents need to be aware of what's going oh, yeah. on with the child, um, his father went to beat him with the belt to try to teach him a lesson the way that he wanted to teach it to him, I suppose. I figured the mother's plan of action was a lot more uh constructive yeah right um so while he was being beat while he was being uh beat with that belt uh his mother attempted to shield him from his father and uh because he was verbally and physically abusing him so she was trying to shield him from all as any mother would do for her child absolutely well that just pissed his father off right right so at that from that point on his uh his father would call him a mama's boy, tell him he was gonna grow up queer, tell him that he was a sissy and <sighs> Yeah, you're telling this to a six year old. Yeah, come on, dude. And uh the one that John hated the most was that his father would call him a jack off. Yeah, who calls their six year old a jack off? Six years old unnecessary no, that's, that's unnecessary let's not do that no. let's take a lesson from this let's not and do not that do because that. if you do you are probably going to be raising a serial killer yeah let's Just not do that, that out there because that seems to be a common trend is childhood trauma in pretty much every serial killer that we've talked about yeah or that i've researched it's some kind of childhood trauma so don't verbally or physically abuse your children just yeah, don't just, do it. Just don't do it just in the story. Do just don't do it. Just it's wrong. Don't Be do it. Be more like the mother with the constructive way. Exactly. Hey, we don't do this and this is why. Sometimes that works, sometimes it don't. But beating your kid, I don't feel like is ever no, the right answer. It's never the right answer. So, I mean, sometimes every now and then you need to pop their butt, but I mean. There's a difference in a popping. There's a, a difference poppin'. between popping them and, <laughs> you know, beating the shit out of your kid. Yeah, yeah, there's a big difference. Don't beat the shit out of your kids. Teach them, discipline them. There's other ways. But, yeah. So, you know. I digress. <laughs> so, in 1949, Gacy's father was informed that his son and another boy had been caught sexually fondling a young girl. So, this... Okay, so now you're going into sexual molestation. That uh-huh. is fantastic. And he's, what, seven? Yeah. 42... 49. 1949. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay, dude. Uh-huh. Yeah. So this started very, very young. So when his father found out, he whipped him with a razor strap as punishment. 
And a razor strap is used to <coughs> sharpen straight edge razors. So it's basically like beating your kid with a heavy leather belt covered in sandpaper. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I get <coughs> as a parent, you would not appreciate no. your son doing that to another little girl absolutely not but you know i'm not gonna <laughs> you're not gonna take a razor strap to your kid no either. <laughs> i mean just no yeah i mean that that's wrong on yeah. so many levels that i mean poor young gacy yeah i mean makes you feel bad for him i mean i don't feel bad for Sounds like sympathy for the devil going on yeah right i mean you feel yeah. bad for the kid he was yeah because he didn't ask to be born into that <laughs> Right. You know, he didn't ask for any of that to happen to him now. And he made his own say, decisions later in life. Right. And who's to say that if he would have had a different upbringing, would his story be different? <coughs> and would we even be talking about him right now? Right. We don't know. But the same year in 1949, again, we established he's what, seven? Yeah. Okay. He was molested by a family friend that... uh he would take Gacy on rods in his truck, and then he would fondle him. Now, Gacy, knowing how his father is, never spoke up and never told his father, hey, your friend is doing this to me. Well, because he knew his dad would probably beat his ass. Exactly. And hello, he told him he was going to probably grow up to be a queer, which and I hate that word. I mean, come on. I, I can understand, you know, as a kid, never speaking up and saying anything about it. But also the time you were growing up when you didn't talk about things like that. Exactly. exactly. You did not say things like that. You didn't talk about things like that. It was swept under the rug. Mm-hmm. That just, it. you did not talk about such things. Yep. Now, also around this time, he um, he started to develop a heart condition. And because of that heart condition, he was ordered to avoid all sports at school. <coughs> He's not allowed to be in PE. I don't have the Rona. Just no, you're fine. <coughs> He's not allowed to be ball. around any kids playing. And I'm sure that that probably took a mental toll on him, too. You know, you're seeing all of your friends outside playing and you're you not able to play. go out there and jump. You can't jump. run, jump, you can't be a normal kid. Right. So, again, who's to say if those things weren't different? But, um... During the fourth grade, he began to experience blackouts that may have been caused to let's, by let's the... Let's just come out and say it. It was probably caused by the physical the brain damage that was caused by being hit in the head with a broomstick. Absolutely. I mean, uh, come on. Yeah. Brain damage. Hello. In addition to having blackouts in 1957, uh, he was hospitalized for having seizures and also he had a ruptured appendix okay then seizures could definitely come from again brain damage absolutely i mean now now casey himself estimated that between the ages of 14 and 18 he spent almost a year in the hospital because of these things oh wow so he spent a lot of time in the hospital um because he spent all that time in the hospital and because of his health uh his grades began to be not great. Yeah, well, obviously. Um, you're not in school. Your health conditions are keeping you from being in school, learning. Obviously, your grades are going to fall. Yeah. Now, his father, of course, being the wonderful, loving father that he is. Heavy on the sarcasm. <sighs> A little bit. So heavy. Glad you gathered that. Um, <laughs> he so told heavy. him 
that he thought the episodes were an effort to gain sympathy and attention, and he openly accused his son of faking his condition and did so as he laid in the hospital bed. Okay, so wrong, dude. Somebody smacked the dad with a broomstick. Please. <laughs> Please. Get him with the razor strap. <laughs> now, not to go to his father's defense, but the only, other than the appendix, that was the only condition that was conclusively diagnosed. Yeah. Everything else was just going off of what Casey said. Now, playing the devil's advocate here, we have to think. In the 50s, medicine was not as good as it is now. Yeah. So, who's to say that they even had the opportunity to do an MRI, for example? Well, they didn't really even have MRIs. They mainly just did x-rays. And even then, how would they be able to come to the conclusion what kind of damage he might have? Exactly. Even then, mental illness and uh, things like that were not things that were discussed during that time. No, not at all. And it was basically like you even showed the slightest instability. You could just be upset and grieving and they'd throw you in the nut house. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, it wasn't the the best. It's not the best now, but, I mean, it's It's a lot better now than it was. Yeah. I think we're on the right track for it being okay. Still. You know, again. Um. But we just to say that if they did have MRIs available at that point, that they wouldn't have noticed like brain damage from being hit with the broom. Yeah. Because that was something that they would not have been able to diagnose and would not have been able. And who's to say that they even told the hospital, hey, hey, I hit my kid in the head with a broom. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I might have knocked some things loose. You know, you're you not going to tell the hospital that. This was a time when a lot of things were kept secret and swept mm-hmm. under the rug because you didn't want, you had an image mm-hmm. and you did not destroy that image for nothing. No, not at all. So one of Gacy's friends at high school recalled uh, several instances in which Gacy's father ridiculed or beat his son without provocation. And on one occasion in 1957, the same friend witnessed an incident at the Gacy household in which Gacy's father began shouting at his son for no reason and then started to hit him. And uh, Gacy's mother attempted to intervene. And uh, the friend recalled that Gacy simply put his hands up to defend himself, adding that he would never have struck his father back during those physical altercations. Mm. Even then, he loved his dad. I mean, it's, it's... that's heartbreaking. It is. It is. It really is. Like, you feel really bad for him going through all of that as a kid in mm-hmm. his teenage years. I mean, you don't feel bad for him for what happened, but, you know, it's like, really, look at how, what he all went through. Is it any surprise Not that he turned out the way he did? Uh-uh. I mean, granted, Not there are eyes. kids that go through that even now, and they turn out fine to a degree yeah they don't go out you know killing people or being coming serial killers Mm -hmm. but still it's like how much do you chalk it up to a product of his raising and what he endured and what mental illnesses he may or may not have either been born with or developed because of said treatment and traumas Uh i mean or being hit upside the head causing brain damage i mean like i said trauma (laughs) hell on i mean but it's it's tough but yeah very very tough 
So um, in 1960, at the age of 18, he became involved in politics and started working as an assistant precinct captain for a Democratic Party candidate in his neighborhood. Now, his father did not like this at all. Obviously. And he accused his son of being a patsy. I don't think dad really cared for much of anything. It doesn't sound like it. It doesn't sound like it. So uh, Gacy himself then speculated the decision may have been an attempt to seek the acceptance from others that he never got from his father. That same year, Gacy became a Democratic candidate himself, and his father did buy him a car with the title of the vehicle being in his father's name and would be in his father's name until he completed the monthly repayments, which took Gacy several years to complete, but he did complete it. Now, while he was paying that off, his father would often confiscate the keys to the vehicle if he didn't do what his father said. In 1962, Gacy went and had an extra set made. Smart kid. Yeah. I mean, it's like, you, you think you're going to take my car away from me. Okay. Now, when his father found out about that, obviously, his father's not going to be happy about it. Well, obviously. His father, being a mechanic, said, I got you. I got you. You want to take the set of keys? I'll do you one better. I'm going to take the distributor cap off of the vehicle, and I'm not going to give it back to you for three whole days and i'm going to teach you a lesson at that point gacy said that he felt totally sick and drained like i cannot catch a break from my dad like i'm just done at this point it's like i'm just i'm done so once his father replaced the distributor cap he said fuck y'all i'm out and he left for vegas yeah while he was in Vegas, he did find work within an ambulance service before he was transferred to work as an attendant at Palm Mortuary. Ooh, buddy. Uh-huh. As a mortuary assistant, he slept on the cot behind the embalming room. Just think of the formaldehyde fumes. Uh-huh. Oh, my God. Uh-huh. Again, if you didn't have brain damage before. Yeah, probably got to know. There you go. So he did that for about three months, observing morticians embalming dead bodies. And he later confessed that on uh, one evening while uh, alone, he had a he had clambered into a coffin of a deceased teenage male before experiencing a, a sense of shock. So once that happened, he then called his mom the next day and he said, will you talk to dad and see if I can come home? I want to come home. So he went home. He went home. To me, it almost seems like he has at least the beginning stages of a split personality. Yeah. Because for me... Dissociating. It, he, it's like he didn't realize what he was doing. And then when he realized it, it was like such a shock to him. He didn't know how to handle it. Well, so his first reaction is, let me go home where I'm safe and... Well, again, it comes back to the trauma as a way maybe um, he developed a split personality as a way to deal mm-hmm. with the trauma that he endured mm-hmm. um, to kind of separate himself. Because, again, it may explain why he never said he hated his dad because maybe that's just one of the personalities. Right. Who knows? Right. I don't know. You don't know. We're not doctors. Right. And we're not Gacy himself. So, I mean, I so, can't you know. tell you. But, I mean, it, it sounds like something that <clears throat> you would hear or talked about mm-hmm. because of trauma this person dissociated. Right. Now, Gacy 
did not graduate from high school. Okay. However, he was able to enroll in the Northwestern Business College despite that. He graduated from college in 1963. Good on him. Yeah. Good for you. You know, you're trying, you know. Yeah. At that point, he took a management trainer position within the Nunbush Shoe Company. Okay. And in 1964, the company transferred Gacy to Springfield, Illinois, to work as a salesman where he would eventually be promoted to manager of his department. So, seems okay. like, okay, I mean. For a moment there, it seemed like he was going to get his life together. He's going to get his shit together. You know, he's good. Right. How in wrong March we of, are. In March of that year, he became engaged to uh, uh, Marilyn Myers, who worked in the department that he managed. So, I mean, like you said, he's seemingly getting himself together. He's engaged. He's got a good job. He graduated from college. Yeah. Things are looking up for Mr. Gacy at this point. Now, during the courtship with Marilyn, Gacy joined the local JCs and became a tireless worker for the organization, even being named key man for the organization in April of 1964. That same year, he had his second sexual experience with a man. He was a... Because, of course, the first one was when he was molested with... Oh, yeah, uh, obviously. Um, he and uh, some colleagues in the Springfield Jaycees was one of the ones that he had the sexual encounter with. Now, by 1965, he then became vice president of the Springfield Jaycees. And that same year, he was named the third most outstanding JC within the state of Illinois. So okay. again, he's still, he's st- things are still looking up for yeah. him. He's, he, you know, after being engaged for six months, Gacy and Myers married in September of 1964. Okay. Now, Marine's father purchased three KFC restaurants in Waterloo, Iowa, where the couple moved so that Gacy could manage them. Okay. So his father-in-law is saying, here. Hooking you up, I'm dude. hooking you up. You'll be able to make a, make some money. You'll be able to keep a living here. Yeah. Good father to do yeah. that for your child. He should have tried to maybe look at him more of a father figure. Yeah. You know, should have. I'm thinking. Uh Now, they would move into her parents' vacated home and then would receive $15,000 a year, which would now be the equivalent of $115,513. That's not a bad living right there. And in today's day and age, that's really not bad. Into her parents' vacated home, so they probably weren't paying rent. No mortgage. You got it made, dude. Made in the shade. Okay. Now, he had that. Plus, he took in a share of the profits earned by those restaurants, too. So oh, yeah. it wasn't just that. He got that other Yeah, he was, he was making with. a pretty so decent living. He's making enough to where he can live pretty reasonably, pretty, like, pretty well, comfortably. You know? You know, exactly. So um, at this time, he would often open up his basement for the employees so they could drink and play pool. Now, keep in mind, a lot of these employees are underage. But again, different time. Right. There that shit would not fly nowadays. But, you know, right. different time, different era. <clears throat> right. And I think that 
this type of experience is why we're not allowed to do those things. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> not so, to mention it's just wrong. Right, it to is get just wrong. Underage kids, it's drunk wrong. But and you, if you need an example for your kids to say, this is why I'm you not allowing not you. Do. Yeah, uh huh. <laughs> this is it. <laughs> this is it. So although both, uh, in both types of employees, male and females, would come and and drink and everything, he would associate more with the male ones. Many of them would uh, would give alcohol. Well, he would give alcohol to them before making sexual advances towards them. Mm. He would claim that his advances were simply jokes or to test their morals because I wanted to see if you were really gay. Because at that time, because at that time, this it like definitely was not accepted. Now, please do whatever makes you happy within consent. Within consent, as long as it's consensual and legal. Do you? consensual and legal i, I just wanted Thank to throw you. that out there because i don't want anybody to think that again know. we're talking about a different time than we what we are currently living in where we certain are. things are just just weren't accepted then they weren't talked about then and you know people had their lives ended over just because of who they were mm-hmm. i mean some this still happens today but it's more widely accepted than and it I'm was so thankful that it is so um but him and uh, Marlene welcomed their first son in February of 1966. Okay. And they had a daughter in 67. So so if he wasn't gay, he was at least bi. He was at least bisexual or bisexual enough to have two kids and whatever. Yeah. You know. Now they moved to Waterloo where uh, Gacy joined the local chapter of the gate of the jc's because he was really interested in that and politics and well you'd already mentioned he was in the jc's uh, right but they moved place. when they moved to waterloo he Start, transferred, he transferred to there. that one yeah and he regularly offered extended hours in addition to the 12 to 14 hour days that he worked managing the three kfc's so he really wasn't at home much at all so although considered ambitious and something of a braggart by the other jc's he was highly regarded for his fundraising work in 67, he was named Outstanding Vice President of the Waterloo Jaycees, and at meetings, he often provided fried chicken from those KFCs. Well, yeah, you're the manager, dude. You and, got some perks. Yeah, and insisted being called Colonel. Okay, that's pushing it. <laughs> Will, shout so, out. <laughs> so every time you go by KFC, just think of John Wayne Gacy. Just think about him because I'm never going to look at a famous bowl the same way ever again. That's all I think about whenever I pass a KFC now. I'm never going to think about a famous bowl the same way ever again. No, you won't. Jesus. <laughs> so that same year, he served as board of directors for the Waterloo JC, and many of the JCs in Waterloo were involved in wife swapping, prostitution, pornography, and drug use. Okay, so they were running an underground swingers club. Pretty much. Sweet. <laughs> <laughs> so in August of 1967, Gacy um, committed his first known sexual assault upon uh, Donald Voorhees, not related to Jason. Just wanted to throw that out there. <laughs> Who was the son of a fellow JC. And uh, Gacy lured him to his home with the promise of showing him a pornographic film where he went to the house and Gacy piled. Uh, Piled Voorhees with alcohol and pursued him to perform oral sex upon him. Why is it always the blowjobs? Always It'll the blowjobs. It'll get job. you every time. Get you every time. Ah, oh, Jesus. <laughs> so, 
Over the next following months, several other youths were sexually abused in a similar manner, including one whom Gacy encountered to have sex with his own wife before blackmailing him to perform an oral sex upon him. He tricked several teenagers into believing that he was um, commissioned with conducted homosexual experiments in the interest of scientific research, for which each was paid up to $50. So, okay. <clears throat> uh-huh. So not only are you a pedophile, mm-hmm. <laughs> but you're, you're prostituting these kids out that work for you. That, that God knows almighty, what a way to screw the pooch. Right. You got a maid, dude, and you're really, really <laughs> fucking it up. Terribly. Time. Royal fashion, may I add. So in, um, in uh, March 1968, Voorhees reported what was happening to him to his father, which I wish it would have been Jason, would have been his father. Oh, God. <laughs> you mean his mother? <laughs> or his mother, yeah. A mother. Su- quick side note. You know there's like, um, <laughs> there's an actual Camp Crystal Lake, and there's like a statue of Jason Voorhees underneath the lake. And I'm sitting here like, we're in 2020. Y'all guys can't be doing shit like right. this, okay? Mm-hmm. He's going to come to life okay. next week. <laughs> So, um, as, Sorry, you, to throw that in <laughs> as you can imagine, when he told his father what was going on, um, the dad reported it to the police and Gacy was arrested and charged with oral sodomy. Gacy, of course, denied that they, that that happened and he demanded a polygraph test, which he passed. I mean, and, polygraphs nowadays... They're not very reliable. We all know this. but That and that could accommodate with the split personality. Yeah. It's like that personality was there, not me, so I can say and no. And then he probably didn't even know that either. <laughs> right. So. Right. Now, um, he did pass that polygraph test and it was determined that he was just nervous when he was asked about Voorhees um, or Lynch, see, one of the other guys that, yeah. Which, I mean, if you're being accused of this, even yeah, if you didn't do it, anyway. you're going to be nervous. So the cops are like... You're being interrogated. Yeah. So. Right. So with that in mind, he did continue to deny that he had any involvement in it. Basically saying, y'all are full of shit. I didn't, didn't do, do it. I did not do this. If the glove does not fit, you must acquit. Yeah, buddy. And um, he told him that the charges that were put up against him were politically motivated and of course, opposed Gacy's nomination for the uh, his uh, his vote to become president of the Iowa Jaycees. Now, other Jaycees members rule, uh, rallied for uh, Gacy. However, on May the tenth, nineteen sixty eight, Gacy was indicted on the sodomy charge. So, during a uh, psychiatric evaluation, it is reported the most sickening aspect of the test. Results is the patient's total denial of responsibility for everything that has happened to him. He can produce an alibi for everything. He presents himself as a victim of circumstance and blames other people who are out to get him. The patient attempts to assure a sympathetic response by depicting himself as being of the mercy of the hostile environment. Hmm. Uh Uh-huh. Again. Yeah. 
Now, on August the 30th, 1968, Gacy uh, pursued one of his employees, an 18-year-old named Russell Schrodner, to uh, physically assault Voorhees in an effort to discourage the boy from testifying against him. Dude, you're just digging it even deeper. Yeah, he just wouldn't leave it alone. Yeah, man. So Gacy promised to pay Schrodner $300 to lure Voorhees to a secluded spot, spray mace in his face, and beat him. Now, Schroeder agreed to do this, and in early September, he lured Verhees to an isolated county park and beat him after spraying mace in his eyes. Voorhees managed to get away and immediately go to the police and report this, and he identified Schroeder as the person that did this to him, and he was arrested the next day. Now, despite initially denying any involvement he soon confessed to what he did. And at that point, he put Gacy in Under there with the bus. Him. Right. So Gacy was then arrested again and additionally charged in relation to hire Schroeder to assist and intimidate Voorhees. Intimidating the witness. Yep. So on September the 12th, Gacy was ordered to undergo another psychiatric evaluation at the psychiatric hospital of the State University of Iowa where two doctors examined Gacy for over a period of 17 days before concluding that he had an antisocial personality disorder, which is a disorder that incorporates constructs such as sociopathy and psychopathy. Okay, so not only is he a sociopath, he is a psychopath too. Uh-huh, yeah. But they did confirm that he does have a mental illness. That did. That they did. Now... At that point, it was determined that he would be unlikely to benefit from any therapy or medical treatment that his behavior pattern was likely to bring him into repeat conflict with society. Now, the doctors did, however, conclude that he was mentally con- um, mentally competent to stand trial on November the 7th of 1968. So he cannot use insanity. Exactly. Now, Gacy pled guilty to one count of sodomy in relation to Voorhees, but not uh, but he pled not guilty to the charges related to the other use uh, that Gacy uh, claimed Voorhees had offered his sexual service to him and that he had just acted out of curiosity. <sighs> just I wish you guys could see my face right now. Yeah. Yeah. Wish it's you could like, see mine. What the hell? When I was researching this, and this I was is like, just the tip of the iceberg. This isn't even <sighs> the stuff. Y'all should see her notes. Like, for real, for real. We're talking like 10 pages front and back. Yeah. It's a lot. So, this is going to be a long one. Yeah. So, um, Gacy was uh, convicted of sodomy on December the 3rd, and he was sentenced to 10 years imprisonment to be served at the Anamosa State Penitentiary. That same day, his wife. Filed for divorce. Well, yeah. She said, fuck you. I am not dealing with this anymore. Now, of course, that divorce was granted and finalized on September the 18th, 1969. So from that point on, he never saw her or his kids again. Good on the mom for that. Yes. Now, while in prison, he gained a reputation of being a model prisoner. Now, within months, he had risen to the position of head cook. So he also joined the inmate JC chapter and increased their membership figure from 50 to 650 in the span of less than 18 months. Damn. 
So he's a smooth talker. He is a smooth talker. <laughs> now, he is also known to have both secured an increase in the inmates' daily pay while they were in prison. Mm-hmm. Um, while they did, you know, they cleaned up the mess halls and have supervised several projects to improve conditions for inmates at the prison. Yeah. So, I mean, we can say what we want about Gacy, but he didn't do all bad. Yeah. There were things that he did that was that was good, you know? Yeah, but does it make up for the fact that he was no. a really, really, really fucked up piece of shit? No. 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 Now, on uh, one occasion, he oversaw the installation of a, uh, of a miniature golf course at the prison. How dare you use golf against me, Adam? <laughs> um. You know, he did that in the recreational yard there, of course. And yeah. in June of 1969, Gacy first appealed to the state of Iowa, um, the band of parole. He was uh, given parole for early release, which was denied at first. And in preparation of the hearing in May of 1970, Gacy completed 16 high school courses for which he um, was able to get his diploma. Okay. So good for him. And in November of 1969, on Christmas Day, his father died Mm. from cirrhosis of the liver. Okay, so dad was an alcoholic, too. Yeah. So when Gacy heard this news, he collapsed on the floor, sobbing. Uh, He requested for supervised compassion, you know, compassionate leave to be able to attend his father's funeral. Yeah. That was denied. So he wasn't allowed to go to his father's funeral. Mm. He was granted parole, though, within 12 months probation on June the 18th of 1970 after only serving 18 months of his 10-year sentence. Hmm. Two of the conditions of his parole were for Gacy to uh, relocate back to Chicago to live with his mother and to observe a 10 p.m. curfew with the Iowa Board of Parole receiving regular updates as to his progress. Okay, that's understandable. I like it. So upon his release, Gacy told his friends and fellow J.C. um, Clarence that had picked him up from prison upon release and had remained steadfast in his belief of Gacy's innocence that he would never go back to jail and that he intended to reestablish himself in Waterloo However, within 24 hours of his release, he relocated to Chicago to live with his mother. And when he arrived in Chicago on June the 19th, shortly after that, he obtained a job as a short order cook in a uh-huh. restaurant. So, I mean, he's trying. Was it KFC? That's what I want to know, too. <laughs> um, on February the 12th, 1971, Gacy was uh, charged with sexual assaulting a teenage boy who claimed that Gacy had lured him into a car at Chicago's Greyhound bus terminal and drove him to his home where he had attempted to force the boy into sex. This complaint was dismissed when the boy failed to appear in court, which again may have been because it was a man that was doing it to him mm-hmm. and he didn't want to seem... Well, he didn't want his he, name put out there because it would have been public knowledge who was doing the accusing. Yeah. And that boy's parents may not have wanted that out there. Yeah. Right. Because I assume the boy was underage. Yeah. Correct? Uh, it doesn't really say, but it does say that, uh, yeah. Well, I mean, you know. Yeah. That's kind of path he's going that's, on. That's, that's his M.O. That's his M.O. 
coming. Uh, so it was dismissed when he didn't show up to court, the boy. And the uh, Iowa Board of Parole did not learn of this incident, which, of course, would have violated his parole. Mm-hmm. So this is the second time. And eight months later, in October of 1971, Gacy's parole was um, ended at that point. He had done his time. He had done his time. He's a free man. Right. And the following month, records of Gacy's previous criminal convictions in Iowa were sealed. So nobody knew about it. Uh Why were they sealed? They sealed them. That doesn't make sense. So with financial assistance from his mother, Gacy bought a house near the village of um, Norwich in Norwood Park Township at 8213 West Summerfield Avenue. I mentioned that because that's a very, very, very creepy, very creepy house to think about. Um, Why is it a very creepy house to think about? It's uh, it's it's now tore down, but it's because of the, you know, his his victims that uh, we're about to talk about. Um, so we're this, not that part of the story yet. <laughs> no. Now he resided there until his arrest in December of 1978. Okay. Which, according to Gacy, all his known murders took place there. Okay. Okay. He became active in his local community, and his neighborhoods, his neighbors considered him helpful and willing to loan him construction stool, and he would plow snow from neighborhood walks free of charge. And between 1974 and 78, he hosted annual summer parties and attended hundred and invited hundreds of people would show up to these these summer parties. He even met and took a picture with Rosalind Carter. Uh-huh. So he's basically putting off the image. He is a fine, upstanding man of the community. Exactly. And um, I mean, if you're going to be a serial killer, I guess there's no better way to help hide your tracks and cover it up, I guess. Yeah. And the Secret Service says that that was one thing that they they wish that they could take back. And that they they regret being able to give him his pass because he actually had Secret Service approval to meet Rosalind Carter. But I would figure they'd have to like really wouldn't they have to be able to go into those sealed prison records? You would think, right. I mean the Secret Service. Come on now. You would think, but he was able to do it. So in August of 1971, shortly after Gacy's and his mother moved into the house, he became engaged to Carol. Um, Carol Hoff, who was a divorcee with two children of her own, they got married on July 1st of 1972, and okay. his mother subsequently moved out because she's like, my son's good, I'm good, we're good. He is rehabilitated. Yes, he's, he's, he's where he needs to be. Now, one week before Gacy's wedding on June the 22nd, he was arrested and charged with aggravated Baiting and reckless conduct. Now, the arrest was in response to a complaint filed by a youth who claimed that Gacy had flashed a sheriff's badge and lured him into his car and forced him to perform oral sex on him. Excuse me again with the blowjobs. Yeah. So these charges were dropped after the uh, complainant attempted to blackmail Gacy. Hmm. Mm-hmm. All sorts of blackmail going on with this thing. Yeah. So in 1971, Gacy established a part-time construction business, um, PDM, which stands for Painting, Decorating, and Maintenance, uh-huh. 
and with the approval of his probation officer, he was allowed to work evenings and committed to his employment um, contracts while working as a cook during the day. So that way they would let him be able to make some extra money. Yeah. Now, the business initially underwent minor repair work, such as sign, you know, sign writing, puring concrete, and redecorating but later extended to include projects such as interior design, remodeling, insulation, assembly, and landscaping. Gotcha. Now, in mid-1973, Gacy was able to quit his job as a cook so that he could fully commit to his construction business. Okay, so, you know, again, it looks like Gacy's getting his life together, but you and I both know Mm -hmm. that's not the case. So, PDM was um, expanded and he was doing so well that in 1975, Gacy was working up to 16 hours a day with his business. In March of 1977, he became supervisor for um, the systems there uh, for PE system, which is a firm specializing in the remodeling of drugstores. So between the PE systems and the PDM, Gacy worked up to four projects at once and he frequently traveled to other states. Okay. By 1978, PDM's annual reserve was over $200,000, which now would be... A lot of money. Uh Uh-huh. Now, many of the employees of the PDM construction were high school students and young men with whom he would often proposition for sex or insist on sexual favors in return for acts such as leaning, uh, loading them his vehicles and financial assistance or promotions within the company so basically workplace sexual harassment this is the reason we have Mm -hmm. laws like this today and why you have to go to sexual harassment training yes yeah yeah thanks john wayne casey thanks to a lot of crappy (laughs) people back then (laughs) so um appreciate you yeah (laughs) he also claimed to own gyms Telling employees, uh, Arthur Peterson, do you know how it'll be to get one of my guys to kill you? How easy it would be to get rid of your body? In 1973, Gacy and a teenage employee of PDM traveled to Florida to view property that Gacy had purchased. Um, And of course, on the first night, Gacy raped the employee in the hotel room. And after returning to Chicago, he drove to Gacy's house and Beat him in his yard. Damn. (laughs) Gacy told his wife that he had been attacked for refusing to pay the employee for poor, uh, for poor equality work. Instead of saying, I raped him, I got my ass beat. Instead of telling the truth and saying that I raped this dude and then he turned around and beat my ass for doing it, I'm just going to tell you he beat my ass because I wouldn't pay him because he was a shitty employee. Right. So, good on that guy for doing that and taking yeah, up for himself at that point. Yeah, good on for taking him to your shitty him. ass boss and beating his ass. Yeah. So, in May of 1975, Gacy hired 15-year-old Anthony Antonucci. And in July of 1975, Gacy went to Antonucci's home, and the two drank a bottle of wine and then watched a heterosexual stage film before Gacy wrestled Antonucci to the floor and cuffed his hands behind his back. One cuff was loose, and Antonucci freed his arm while Gacy was out of the room. So when Gacy returned, Antonucci, who was a high school wrestler, pounced upon him. 
He uh, wrestled Gacy to the floor, obtaining possession of the handcuffs, and he cuffed Gacy's hands behind his back. Hood on this guy, too. You know, Gacy at first threatened Antonetti and then uh, claimed and promised to leave if Antonetti agreed, and uh, which he did, and, and Gacy left. So he freed him. The Antonetti lady recalled that Gacy told him, not only are you the one that got out of the cuffs, you got them on me. Mm. Oh, that's that just, just creepy. Ooh. Yeah. Ugh. So on July the 26th, 1976, Gacy picked up 18-year-old David Chim as a teenage hitchhiker on Elston Avenue. Gacy offered uh, Crane a job with PDM, and Crane began working for the firm in some evenings. Now, on August the 21st, Crane moved into his house. The following day, Gacy, dressed as Pogo the Clown... <laughs> conned chin into <sighs> cloning handcuffs clowning handcuffs okay yeah now crane was drunk and then the handcuffs were placed on him with his wrist in front of his body so gacy swung around and while holding the chain linking the cuffs he said he intended to rape him Crane kicked Gacy in the floor and freed himself from the handcuffs. One month later, Gacy appeared at Crane's bedroom door with the intention saying, Dude, you really don't know who I am. Maybe it should be good if you give me what I want. Now, of course. (laughs) What does the wife think about all this? Where is she? I don't know. Now, Crane resisted straddling Gacy, who left the bedroom, stating, you ain't, you ain't no fun. Shortly thereafter, <clears throat> Crane moved out and left PDM, and although he did periodically work for Gacy over the following two years. Now, shortly after, Crane moved out of Gacy's house. Another employee, 18-year-old Michael Rossi, moved in. Now, Rossi had been working for PDM contractors since May of 1976, and he lived with Gacy until April of 1977. Now, Gacy became active in the local Democratic Party politics, initially offering the labor services of his employees to clear party headquarters for free, and he was rewarded for his community service by being appointed to serve upon Norwood Park Township Street Lighting Community, subsequently earning the title of Precinct captain so in 1975 gacy was appointed director of chicago's annual polish construction day parade he supervised the polish yeah yeah polish (laughs) (laughs) love you uh, thanks (laughs) so he was uh supervised the annual event from 75 to 78 and through his work with the parade gacy uh, met and again was photographed with that's when he was photographed with our former first lady, Rosalind Carter. Now, to uh, she even signed the photo My. saying, to John Gacy, best wishes, Rosalind Carter. See, what I want to know is how good of a talker does he have to be mm-hmm. to keep getting just put in places of power? Mm-hmm. And it's like dude yeah why yeah and he even had an s from the secret service on his arm which means that he had special clearance no okay 
Y'all, somebody royally dropped the ball on this one. Yeah. That's a big embarrassment on the Secret <laughs> Service's part. Thank God he did not harm our first lady, but I don't think that that's. I don't think she met his demographic. And, yeah. So. Thankfully, you know, but. <sighs> now, through his membership in the local uh, Moose Club, <laughs> Gacy became aware of uh, a jolly joker clown club whose members frequently performed at fundraising events and parades in addition to um children's birthday parties you know, yeah entertaining hospitalized children as well god knows so in late 1975 he joined them and created his own performance character pogo the clown and that's you know who we just talked about pogo showed up Mm-hmm. And Patches the Clown. He went by both of those. Oh, so he went by both Pogo mm-hmm. and Patches. Yeah, okay. Pogo and Patches. He performed his Pogo in numerous local parties, political functions, charitable events, and children's hospital. Patches was uh, used at the grand opening of his PDM clients, and Gacy designed his own clowning costume and taught himself how to apply clown makeup. For those reasons, Gacy is known as the killer clown. I do not like clowns. Mm -mm. I do not. (laughs) Gacy was also known to occasionally remain in his clowning uh, get up long after the performance was over. Okay, so yeah, I do. That's fucked. On several occasions, he is known to have arrived dressed in his clowning outfit and his favorite drinking venue. The Good Luck Lounge, with the expectation that he had performed at a charitable event and was stepping for a social drink before heading home. Gacy later started acting as a clown, allowing himself to regress into childhood. Trauma. Uh-huh. Fantastic. Yeah. So in 1975, Gacy told his wife that he was bisexual. Oh, so he finally admitted it. He admitted it. it. Okay. And after that, the couple had sex on Mother's Day that year, and he informed her that this would be the last time they would ever have sex. He began spending most of his evenings away from home, only to return in the early hours or mornings with the excuse that he had been working late. So his wife observed Gacy bringing teenage boys into his garage and also found gay pornography and... uh, Yeah. Yeah. And wallets of identifying cards inside the house. Identification cards inside the house of young teenage boys. Um, So once she confronted Gacy about those items and who they belong to, he um, angrily informed her that their property was none of her business. Following a heated argument regarding her failing to balance a checkbook correctly. In October of 1975, Carol Gacy asked her husband for a divorce. Okay, so she finally leaves. She leaves. So Gacy agreed to his wife's request, and although by mutual consent, Carol uh, continued to live at HU13 West Somerdale until February of 1976, when she and her daughters moved into their own apartment one month later on March 2nd. So, I mean, at least he's nice enough to let her stay there until she was able to get a place. Yeah, but still, I mean, still. I wouldn't want to She may not have had any there. Well, I mean, she wouldn't have had any other choice, but I mean, still, yeah. it's like... Sucks. Dude. Sucks for her. So, on uh, March the 2nd, the Gacy's divorce was uh, finalized, um, was on the grounds of Gacy's infidelity with women. 
Of course they're not going to mention infidelity with boys. Right. Now, Gacy is known to have murdered at least 33 young men and boys. 26 of them were buried in the crawl space of that home. Again, the IDs that she brought up. Mm-hmm. They belonged to all of them. Good possibility. More than likely. Now, he typically abducted his victims from the Greyhound bus station in Chicago. And he would, uh, at the Bug House Square... Uh, or simply off the streets. Some victims were grabbed by force or conned into believing that Gacy, who had a fake badge, was a police officer, and that's how he got them into the vehicle. Other victims was lured to his house with either the promise of a job with PDM or an offer to have a drink, drugs, or even money for sex. Now, the victims were usually known to... Uh, they were kind of drifters. <clears throat> yeah. And they were they were always going to his house alone. So he yeah. always picked people that were by themselves. Um, now, on three occasions, Gacy had went on what he called doubles, which doubles. is two murder victims killed in the oh, same okay. evening. Okie dokie, then. <clears throat> so inside Gacy's home, his usual MO was to... Uh, Ply youth with a drink, drugs, or generally gain his trust in some way, shape, or form. And then Gacy would then produce uh, the pair of handcuffs that I talked about. And he would show, he would say, let me show you a magic trick. Yeah, Betty showed him a magic trick, all right. Uh-huh. Now, sometimes as part of the clowning routine, he typically cuffed his own hands behind his back. And then he released himself with the key. And he was like, see? It's easy. I got this. This is nothing. <sighs> and he hid the key between his fingers. So they were like, okay, yeah, you can get free. This is nothing. Yeah. Then he would offer to show them, say, hey, let me show you how this is done. You can do it. And of course, that's not how that works. No. He put them on and, yeah. They were screwed then. Mm-hmm. More ways than one. Yeah. So the Gacy Ooh. made the statement or the effect, the trick is you have to have the key. And that's what he would tell them after he cuffed them. So Gacy did this handcuff trick to get them to where they couldn't go anywhere. Um, And then that's when he would rape and torture his victims. Now, he would often sit on their chest and force them to perform oral sex on him while he was sitting on their chest. That could not be comfortable. More, first of Mm -mm. all. No. Mm Mm-mm. Not today, Satan. Who wants clown balls in your face? <laughs> and just... Clown balls. Clown balls. It's just... It blows my mind. I mean, it's Mm-mm. like... I hate clowns, and now I hate them even more. Yeah. Because <laughs> this is just disturbing. <clears throat> yeah, he would then... I mean, there's nothing funny about this, but I can't help but make sarcastic and dumbass remarks and laugh because it's heavy shit. Mm-hmm. So... After he did that, he would then torture them even more by burning them with cigars, have them have them intimidate a horse as he sat on their back. So they would imitate horses. uh And he would pull upon a makeshift rein around their necks. And then he would violently put foreign objects such as dildos and prescription bottles, after he had sodomized his captive. 
Now, to immobilize the legs of his captive, prior to engaging in acts of torture, Gacy frequently... He would frequently tie their ankles up by two by four with handcuffs attached to each end and an active... (laughs) An act inspired by the Houston mass murders committed by Dean Coral, he served several victims, was dragged by force to his bathroom where they were partially drowned in the bathtub before Gacy Lee repeatedly revived them and enabling him to continue his torture. God, he is so fucked up. Yeah. Now, oh my God. I he, thought Albert Fish was bad. He kept going with this, right? And he typically murdered his victims by placing a rope around their necks before progressively tightening the rope with a human handle. He called this the rope trick, where he would often tell his victim, this is the last trick. He well, occasionally yeah. read sections of 23rd Psalm as he tightened the rope to his victim's neck. So just imagine this as you're having... That tighten around your neck. Ugh, the I'd Lord is my shepherd. Any of it. I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me into the path of righteousness for his namesake. Ye though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, thy comfort me. Thou preparest a table for me in the presence of mine enemies thou anoints my head with oil my cup runneth over surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all of the days of my life oh my god I and chills. i will dwell in the house of the lord forever imagine that being I got coming chills. from gacy that being the last that thing that you ever hear ridiculous oh. and just that's terrifying <sighs> oh my god i got chills that's horrible uh-huh that's horrifying how can you uh, I told you this one fucked me up. Bad. I'm telling you. So, <laughs> although several victims died by asphyxiation from the cloth um, gag stuffed deep in their throat, with the exception of his final two victims who were murdered between 3 a.m. and 6 p.m. So after death, the victims' bodies were typically stored beneath his bed for up to 24 hours. And then Gacy then buried them in the crawl space where he periodically poured quick slime in there to holster the decompensation of the bodies. Some of them, he would take them to his garage and he would embalm them prior to their burial. Because again, he had the embalming Mm -hmm. experience. And some believed that he engaged in acts of necrophilia while that was going on. At this point, I I would not be surprised. Yeah. Quite at all. So, <clears throat> um, people kept complaining about the smell. Well, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> and uh, so he kept saying, oh, it's nothing. Don't worry about it. It's just my sewer. My sewer's messed up. Don't worry about it. And he, he was able to get away with this for as long as he did because of that excuse. And because everybody looked at him as like a, as a, as a, you know, a prominent figure in the community. Right. So they were just like, okay. Now, the last victim that he had before he was caught, his name was Robert Peist. 
Now, in the afternoon of December the 11th, 1978, Gacy went to visit the Nissan Pharmacy of De, uh, Des Plaines, Illinois, to discuss a potential uh, remodeling deal with the store owner, Phil Torf. He then was within earshot of 15-year-old part-time employee Robert Peist. And Gacy mentioned his firm had often hired teenage boys at the starting wage of $5 an hour, almost double the pay that Peist earned at the pharmacy that he was working at. Right. I mean, let's think about the time frame. $5 is probably a lot of money an hour back then. Right. So shortly after Gacy left the pharmacy... Uh, Pice's mother arrived at the store to drive her son home so that the family could celebrate her birthday together. Now, Pice asked his mother to wait, adding that some contractor wants to talk to me about a job. And he left the store at 9 p.m. and promising to return shortly. Now, Pice was murdered shortly after 10 p.m. at Gacy's home. Poor, his poor mama. Right. You know. Now, Gacy later stated that, um... At his house, he took Peist whether um, there was anything he wouldn't do for the right price. Right. So to which Peist would have replied that he did not mind working hard. And in response, Gacy stated good money could be earned by hustling. And although Peist was dismissive of the statement, Gacy then dubbed Peist into the doning handcuffs before saying, I'm going to rape you and you can't do nothing about it. What the fuck? So then at that point, Peist started to weep, right? I mean, he's scared to death. Right. He also stated that he placed the um, uh, tourniquet around Peist's neck and the boy was crying scared. And Gacy admitted to having received a phone call from a business acquaintance as Peist lay dying there, suffocating on his floor. Now, yeah. So, of course, when Peist failed to return, his family filed a missing person report um, with the Des Plaines police. And Torf named Gacy as a contractor that Peist had most likely left a store to talk to about a job. And Lieutenant Joseph Kaz... Kosnick, whose son attended Maine West High School like priest, chose to investigate Gacy further. Right. Having spoken to Pice's mother on the morning of December the 12th, Kosnick became convinced that Pice had not run away from home. So a routine check of Gacy's criminal background revealed that he had an outstanding battery charge against him in Chicago and had several prison sentences in Iowa for sodomy of a 15-year-old boy. So they're finally doing the investigating and saying, okay, hello, you have all this going on behind closed doors. So Cosenkak, and I'm probably pronouncing that wrong and I do apologize, and two Des Plaines police officers visit Gacy at his house following that the following evening and Gacy indicated that he had seen two youths working at a pharmacy and that he had asked one of them who he believed to be Pice whether there were any remodeling materials behind the store he was adamant however that he had not offered Pice a job and had only returned to the pharmacy shortly after 8 p.m. and that he had left his appointment book at the store so Gacy promised to come to the station later that evening to make a statement confirming all of that and indicating that he wasn't able to do so at the moment because his uncle had just died. So when questioned as to how soon he would be able to come to the police station, he responded, you guys are very rude. Do you have any respect for the dead? After you just killed a motherfucker. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. So at 3.20 a.m., 
Gacy arrived at the power station. Uh, power station. Yeah, the police, police station. station. Covered in mud, claiming that he had been involved in a car accident. He had said he had been in a minor traffic accident and route to his appointment with the Des Plaines police officer after disposing of Pice's body. His vehicle had slid off an icy covered road and he had attempted to free the vehicle himself without success before it had been towed from its location. So in returning to the police station later that day, Gacy denied any involvement in Pice's disappearance and Pice and we repeatedly that he did not offer him a job. When he asked why he had returned to the pharmacy, Gacy reiterated that he had done so in response to a phone call from Torf informing him that he had left his, his uh, appointment book at the store. So detectives had already spoken to Torf, who denied calling Gacy, and at the request of the detective, Gacy prepared a written statement detailing his movements of December the 11th. Now, suspecting Gacy might be holding Peist against his will at his house, um, they were able to obtain a search warrant of Gacy's house on December the 13th. Now, the search of Gacy's property revealed several suspicious items, including several police badges and a six millimeter brevet, brevetta, brevetta? Uh-huh, starter pistol inside of an office drawer and a syringe and a hypodermic needle inside the cabinet of Gacy's bathroom. <coughs> <coughs> It's not the Rona, it's the incense. Yeah. Sorry. I'll cut that part off. All right, thank you. <coughs> so they found a syringe and a hypodermic needle inside the cabinet of Gacy's bathroom. Investigators also found handcuffs, books on homosexuality. <coughs> God knows. And pedestria. Or pedestry. Let me see. Just the blue word. <clears throat> the blue word? I'm looking. I'll cut this part out. It says sexual relationship between an adult and an, and an adolescent boy. So it's basically... Pedophilia. It's pedophilia, but it's just worded differently. Pederasty. <clears throat> yeah. I've never heard of that. Oh, called that. Still but. pedophilia. Yeah, Call basically pedophilia. Seven pornographic films and capsule of... Um, Armal nitrate and an 18-inch dildo in Gacy's room. Yo, dude. A 39-inch... Just the 18-inch dildo is incriminating enough as yeah, it is, man. Facts. A 39-inch 2x4 with two holes drilled in each end, bottles of Valium and Atropine, <clears throat> and several driver's licenses were found in a Northwest bathroom. A blue hooded parka was found atop of the toolbox inside the laundry room and underwear too small to fit Gacy was located inside the bathroom closet. In the northwest bedroom, investigators found a main west high school ring, but the ring was not piced. The ring was a class of 75 ring engraved with the initials J.A.S., so investigators also recovered a photo receipt from Nissan Pharmacy from a trash can alongside a 36-inch section of nylon rope. Mm. So <clears throat> as crazy and incriminating as that in, it's really not a crime with those things. You yeah. know what I mean? It's like you have it, but we really don't have what you or what we want you to have We don't yet. have a body. Right. So, of course, they started to uh, survey uh, surf- – surveillance's house 
and they confiscated his Oldsmobile and other PDM work vehicles, so he couldn't yeah really go anywhere. So police assigned two two man surveillance teams to monitor Gacy on a rotational twelve hour basis, and they continue their investigation into the background and potential involvement in Pice's disappearance. Now the surveillance team consisted of officers Mike Albrich and David Hatchmeister and Ronald Robinson and Robert Schultz. Okay. Now, the following day, investigators received a phone call from Michael Rossi, who informed the investigators that Gregory Godsick's disappearance and the fact that <clears throat> another PDM employee also named Charles Hatula had been found drowned in Illinois River earlier that year. Mm. Now, on December the 15th, the investigators obtained further details of Gay Series battery charges that he had earlier on. Learning the complainant, Jeffrey Ringel, had reported that Gacy had lured him into his car, then chloroformed him, raped him, and tortured him before dumping him. Now, with severe chest and facial burns and rectal bleeding in Lincoln Park the following morning. So, in an interview with Gacy's former wife the same day, they learned of the disappearance of John <clears throat> Butkovich. The same day, the main West High School ring was traced to John Allen Syke. And an interview with Sykes' mother revealed that several items of her son's apartment were also missing, including a Motorola TV set. So by December the 16th, Gacy was becoming um, <clears throat> affable with the surveillance detective. You know, All right. I knew I see you <laughs> regularly inviting them to join him for meals in restaurants and occasionally for drinks in a bar or his home. And he repeatedly denied that he had anything to do with Pice's disappearance and accused the officers of harassing him because of his political connections or because of his recreational drug use. Knowing these officers were unlikely to arrest him on anything trivial, he would taunt them by flaunting tra uh, <clears throat> by floating traffic laws and succeeding in his uh, losing his pursuers on more than one occasion. Mm. Now that afternoon... Cram const, uh, consented to a police interview in which he described Gacy's open-minded attitude regarding sex between males and his workaholic lifestyle. Cram also divulged that on one occasion, because of his poor timekeeping, Gacy had given him a watch, explaining that he had obtained the item from a dead person. Investigators concluded a formal interview of Michael Rossi on December the 7th. He informed Gacy that he sold Sykes' vehicle to him, explaining that he bought the car from Sykes because Sykes needed money to move to California. <clears throat> A further examination of Gacy's Oldsmobile was conducted on that date as well. And in the course of examining the trunk of the car, the investigator discovered a small cluster of fibers, which may have been human hair. Now, these fibers were sent for further analysis, and that evening... Officers conducted a test using three trained German Shepherd search dogs to determine whether Pice had been present in any of Gacy's vehicles. The dogs were allowed to examine each of Gacy's vehicles, whereupon one dog approached the Gacy's Oldmobile and laid on the passenger seat in what the dog handler informed investigator was a death reaction. <clears throat> so that was the dog signal for when they... <clears throat> Ooh, buddy. Yep. And that indicating that his, Pice's body had been present in that vehicle. Now, that evening, Gacy 
um, invited detectives Albrecht and Hodgemeister to a restaurant for a meal. And in the early hours of December the 18th, he invited them over to another restaurant where over breakfast, he talked of his business, his marriages, and his activities as a registered clown. And at one point during the conversation, Gacy remarked, you know, clowns can get away with murder. Not you. (laughs) (laughs) So on December the 18th, Gacy was beginning to show visible signs of strain from the constant surveillance. You know, he's getting kind of frustrated at this point. Oh, yeah. So he was unshaven. He looked tired. He appeared anxious and he was drinking heavily. Now, that afternoon, he drove to his lawyer's office to prepare a $750,000 civil suit against the Des Plaines Police Department, demanding that their case of, uh, to tell him to stop surveilling me. Yeah. Now, that same day, <clears throat> the serial number of the Nissan pharmacy photo receipt found in Gacy's kitchen was traced to 17-year-old Kim Byers, a colleague of Peace of Pice, excuse me, and Nissan Pharmacy. Byers admitted when contacted in person the following day that she had worn the jacket on December the 11th to shield herself from the cold, and she had placed the receipt in the pocket just before she gave the coat back to Pice as he left the store, claiming that a contractor wanted to speak with him. <clears throat> now, that revelation contradicted what Gacy said, that he had never had any contact with Robert Pice on the evening of December the 11th. But now there's direct evidence linking him there. Yeah. So now, that same evening, once they found that out, Michael Rossi was interviewed a second time. And on this occasion, he was more cooperative. He informed detectives that in the summer of, of 77, at Gacy's behest, he had spread 10 bags of lime in the crawl space of Gacy's house. <clears throat> Now, December the 19th, investigators began compiling evidence for a second search warrant for Gacy's house. Now, that same day, Gacy's lawyer filed a civil suit against the Des Plaines police. Now, after hearing that suit was scheduled for December the 2nd, that afternoon, Gacy and violent the uh, surveillance detectives inside of his house again. Now, on this occasion, <clears throat> as Officer Robinson distracted Gacy with conversation, Officer Schultz walked into Gacy's bedroom and in an unsuccessful attempt to write down the serial number of the Motorola TV that he had in there to try to trace it back to John Snake, John Syke. So while flushing Gacy's toilet, the officer noticed a smell that he suspected could be that of rotting corpses emitting from a heating duct. So he's starting to really yeah. get a whiff of it when, he's, when he flushed the toilet. <clears throat> so the officers who had searched Gacy's house previously had failed to notice that. So on this occasion, maybe it could have been because the house was cold. Yeah. So investigators interviewed both David Cram and Michael Rossi on December the 20th. Rossi had agreed to be interviewed in relation to the possible link with John Syke, as well as the disappearance of Robert Peist. So when questioned by Kozanak as to where he believed Gacy had concealed Peist's body, Rossi replied that Gacy may have placed a body in the crawl space, adding that he thought that Sykes' car was stolen. So a polygraph test showed that his responses to the questions were inconclusive. 
However, he agreed to subsequent visual testing in which a map of Cook County was divided into 12 grid sections numbered 1 to 12, with Gacy's home being marked on the fourth grid section. Kozanak <clears throat> noted an extreme increase in Rossi's blood pressure when asked, is the body of Robert Peist buried on grid number four? So after hearing this question, Rossi refused to continue the questioning. He did, however, further discuss the trenches digging that he did in the crawl space and remarked on Gacy's, um, <clears throat> Gacy's in, instance that he did not deviate from what he was restricted to yeah. dig. Um, Cram informed an investigator of Gacy's attempt to rape him in 76, and he stated that after he and Gacy had returned to home after December the 13th, Search of the property, Gacy had turned pale after seeing a clot of mud on the carpet, which he suspected had come from the crawl space. Now, Cram said that Gacy had grabbed a flashlight and immediately entered the crawl space to look for evidence of digging. When asked whether he had been to the crawl space, Cram replied that he had been asked by Gacy to spread lime down there and to also dig trenches, which Gacy had explained were for drainage pipes. Oh, it was for drainage pipes. Oh, yeah. Right. So, um, Crane stated that these trenches were two feet wide, six feet long, and two feet deep, which is the size of a grave. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> now, here's where the confession comes in. On the evening of December the 20th, Gacy drove to his lawyer's office in Park Ridge, Illinois, to attend a scheduled meeting ostensibly to discuss the progress of the civil suit right now on his arrival gacy appeared disheveled and immediately asked for an alcoholic drink whereupon sam amarate fetched a bottle of whiskey from his car why are you riding around with a bottle of whiskey in well your back car? in the 70s okay. that was a different thing okay. just say it drinking and driving <laughs> was not a problem back in that day <laughs> nobody gave two shits about it right so on his return, Amarate asked Gacy <clears throat> what he needed to discuss with them. So Gacy picked up the copy of the Daily Herald from Amarati's desk and pointed to the front page article covering the disappearance of Robert Pice and said, the boy is dead. He's in the river. Over the following hours, Gacy gave a rambling confession that ran into the early hours of the following morning. He began by informing Amorati and Stevens that he had been the judge, jury, and executor of many, many people, and that he now wanted to be the same for himself. He said he had buried most of his victims in his crawl space and had disposed of five other bodies in the Des Plaines River. Gacy dismissed his victims as male prostitutes, hustlers, and liars, whom he gave the rope trick, adding he occasionally awoke to find dead strangled kids on his floor with handcuffs behind their back. He had buried their bodies in the crawl space as he believed they were his property. As a result of the alcohol that he had consumed, Gacy fell asleep midway through his confession, and Amarate immediately arranged a psychiatric appointment for Gacy at 9 a.m., that morning so when awakened several hours later gacy simply shook his head when informed by amarate that he had confessed to killing approximately 30 people saying well i can't think about this right now i've got things to do ignoring his lawyer's advice regarding his scheduled appointment gacy left their office to attend the needs of his business so gacy later recalled <clears throat> 
his memories of his final day of freedom as being hazy, adding that he knew that his rest was inevitable and that in the final hours of his freedom, he intended to visit as many friends as he could to say his final farewells. And after leaving his a lawyer's office, Gacy drove to the gas station where, in the course of filing um, his rental car, he handed a small bag of weed to the attendant, who immediately handed the bag to the surveillance officer, adding that Gacy had told him, the end is coming for me. Now, these guys are going to kill me. Gacy then drove to the home of the fellow contractor and friend, Ronald Road, where Gacy hugged Road before bursting into tears and saying, I've been a bad boy. I've killed 30 people, give or take a few. Gacy left Road and drove to David Cram's house to meet with Cram and Rossi. So as he drove along the expressway, their surveillance officers noted that he was holding a rosary to his chin, praying while he was driving. So after talking to Cram and Rossi, Gacy and Cram drove to their scheduled meeting uh, with Leroy Stevens. As Gacy spoke with his lawyer, Cram informed the officer that Gacy had divulged to him and Rossi in the previous evening. He had confessed to his guilt of over 30 murders to his lawyers, and Gacy then had Cram drive him to Mayhill Cemetery where his father was buried. After Gacy drove to the various locations that morning, police outlined the formal draft of their second search warrant. The proposed of the purpose of this warrant was specifically search for the body of Robert Pice in the crawl space. Overhearing from the surveillance detectives that in the light of erratic behavior, Gacy may be about to commit suicide. Police decided to arrest him and charge him for possession of distribution of marijuana in order to hold him in custody as a formal request for a second search to be done at his home. Now at 4.30 on December the 21st, the eve of the hearing of Gacy's civil suit, Judge Marvin J. Peters granted the request for that second search warrant. After police informed Gacy of their intentions to search the crawl space for the body of Robert Pice, Gacy denied the teenager was buried there but confessed to having killed a young man in self-defense and buried his body under his garage. Now, armed with this signed search warrant, police and evidence technicians drove to Gacy's home. On their arrival, officers found Gacy had unplugged his his, uh, sump pump flooding the crawl space with water to clear it. They simply replaced the plug and waited for the water to drain. He tried it. Okay. He went there. (laughs) So after that was done, evidence technician Daniel Gentry entered the 28 by 38 foot crawl space, crawling to the southeast area and began digging. Now within minutes, he had discovered petrified flesh and human arm bone. Putrefied flesh and arm bone. Yay. Uh Uh Uh-huh. Fantastic. Yeah. So Genty immediately shouted to the investigators that they could charge Gacy with murder, adding, I think this place is full of kids. A police photographer then dug the northeast corner of the crawl space, uncovering a patilio. The two began digging in the southeast corner, undercovered two lower leg bones. Now, the victims were too decomposed to be piced, as the body discovered in the northeastern corner was later unearthed. A crime scene technician discovered the skull of a second victim alongside this body. 
So later, excavators of this feat of the second victim revealed a further skeleton beneath that body. So he was just basically burying bodies on top of bodies. Yes. So because of this, technicians returned to the trench where the first body was unearthed, discovering the rib cage of the fourth victim with a crawl space, confirming the scale of murders. So after being informed that the police had found human remains in his crawl space and that he would be now facing murder charges, Gacy told officers he wanted to clear the air, adding he had known his arrest was inevitable since the previous evening, which he had spent on the couch in his lawyer's office. So in the early morning of December the 22nd, and in the presence of his lawyer, he was formally arrested, and he gave a formal stated statement which he confessed to murdering approximately 30 young males, all of whom he claimed to have entered his house willingly. Whew. Dang. So, he was, he was executed on, um, he was put on death row and he was transferred to the Menard Correctional Center in Chester, Illinois, where he remained incarcerated for 14 years. During that 14 years, he drew paintings, which he was able to make money off of, uh, I hate to say it, but I kind of wish that I had a Gacy painting. I don't. <laughs> um, um, he did a lot of interviews. And, I mean, you can go on there and you can just see, like. Yeah, uh, dude's crazy. fucked up. Um, on February 15th, 1983, Henry Bispen, a fellow death row inmate known as the I-57 killer, stabbed Gacy in the upper arm with a sharpened wire. And at that time of the attack, Gacy was participating in a voluntary work program. A second death row inmate injured in the attack, William Jones, received a superficial stab wound to the head. Both received treatments on the prison hospital for their wounds. And yeah, now in the morning, he went through a couple of appeals trying to get, you know, trying to get out of it. Um, All of that went to nothing. Because on the morning of May the 9th, 1994, Gacy was transferred from the Menard Correctional Center to Stateville Correctional Center in Crest Hill, Illinois, to be executed. Now, that afternoon, he was allowed a private picnic on the prison grounds with his family. For his last meal, Gacy ordered a bucket of Kentucky fried chicken, a dozen fried shrimp, french fries, fresh strawberries, and a Diet Coke. He went out with KFC. Oh, Lord Jesus. That evening, he um, he observed prayer with a Catholic priest before being escorted to the Statesville execution chamber to receive his lethal injection. Before the execution began, the chemicals used to affect the execution solidified unexpectedly, clogging the IV tubes used to administer the chemicals into Gacy's arm, complicating the procedures. Blinds covering the window through which witness observed the executions were drawn. The execution team replaced the clocked tubes and completed the procedure. And after 10 minutes, the blinds were reopened and the execution resumed. The entire procedure took about 18 minutes. Mm. Now, anesthesiologists blame the problem on the prison officials inexperience of conducting an execution, saying that they had correct execution procedures been followed, the complications would have never occurred. 
and this error apparently led to the Illinois adopting an alternative method of lethal injection. So on this subject, one prosecutor of Gacy's trial, William um, Cuckle, said he's got a much easier death than any of his victims. Mm-hmm. According to published reports, Gacy was diagnosed psychopath who did not express any remorse for his crime. His final statements to his lawyer before his execution was that killing him would not compensate for the loss of others and that the state was murdering him. His final spoken words were reported to be, kiss my ass. Well, damn. Now... And the hours leading to his execution, a crowd of an estimated of a thousand people, over a thousand people showed up outside of the correctional center. A vocal majority were in favor of the execution, although a number of anti-death penalty protesters were also present. Some of those in favor of the execution wore T-shirts, harking to Gacy's previous community services as a clown and bearing uh, satirical slogans such as no tears for the clown. The anti-death penalty protesters uh, present observed a silent candlelight vigil. After Gacy's death was confirmed at 12.58 a.m. on May the 10th, 1994, his brain was removed. And Zach Bagans killed his brain in an episode of Ghost Adventures. That was so crazy. It was the weirdest thing I've ever seen. He was so excited to be holding John Wayne Gacy's brain. I would have been excited about that, too. I was like, dude, what the fuck am I watching? Yeah. So at that point, was in possession of Helen Morrison, who was a witness of uh, defense at Gacy's trial, who was interviewed uh, Gacy and other serial killers in an attempt to isolate common personality traits of those violent psychopaths. His body was cremated, and many of his paintings after his death were auctioned off, and some were bought so they could be destroyed. And um, in a June 1994 communal bonfire held in Nappersville, Illinois, attended by approximately 300 people, including family members of nine of Gacy's victims. So you're like, burn this motherfucker. Right? Burn it. Burn, burn it him. to the ground. Burn it to the ground. Burn Holy it to the ground. shit. Yeah. I, so that's a lot. I told you, I went down the rabbit hole. It fucked me up. Okay. Yeah, Not I'm, even gonna I'm pretty fucked up about this. Like, what the hell, man? Yeah. Like, dude. I can't even. Ever since I started doing the research, because I didn't know about the KFC thing before I really started doing this research. But now every time I go by KFC, I have not eaten KFC since I did this. And every time I go by, all I can think about is John Wayne Gacy. He was running three KFCs. His last meal was KFC. Yeah, it's all in my mind. I, I don't. I don't know. I don't no more know. famous bowls. I'm done. I don't know. I, I'm just like I said. This one really, really messed me up. Uh, that's done fucked with me. <laughs> it's really absolute hell. Really messed up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did yourself on this one. <laughs> his yeah. was a, his was so easy to find information well, on. Yeah. Though. It, it, like I now know more chills. about John Wayne Gacy than I previously knew and wanted to know, but I'm okay with it. Yeah, yeah. So did that. If I have nightmares tonight. It's your fault. Sorry that this is so long. <laughs> well, I'm not sorry. It's long. Sorry. <laughs> thank y'all for listening yeah you know um my final thoughts are 
I think that he had split personalities. And then I feel like that the night that he went and confessed to all this stuff, I think it just kind of hit him what all he had done in those states. Like it had all just come together for him. And he was like, I, I got to stop myself. I can't keep doing this. Honestly, my final thoughts is fuck that guy. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck you, John Wayne Casey. Fuck that guy. I mean, it's like, how many, you just, you ruined the lives of so many people. Yeah, they found 20, let me, let me get I thought she told me 26 people were found on his actual property. And it, it's 33 people altogether. They found five in the river. Mm-hmm. And then the rest were found. On his property. His I want to know, how can you sleep knowing that you're sleeping over dead people? On like top how, of dead like people. How can you sleep knowing you killed those people? <clears throat> well, that too. That too. And not just killed them. Brutally. Brutally. Tortured them, them. And you feel, don't feel the slightest bit bad about it. Yeah. I mean, I feel bad if I accidentally trip over my dog. Right. Okay. <laughs> right. I feel so bad. Like, oh, Athena. I feel bad if, like... I'm sorry. Mommy didn't mean to do it. You know, I I, I, I feel bad if one of my kids trips and hurts himself and I had nothing to do with it. Right. Like, come on now. But I, you're, you're able to sleep. But you're able to sleep perfectly fine and go about your life after destroying mm-hmm. all these people and mm-hmm. all these families and all these lives. Mm-hmm. I, I don't understand that. I can't and, I, and thank God I don't because I would never want to. <laughs> Me neither. It's just the smell horrible. alone. God. Like if nothing else, the smell alone. I just don't think I would be able to. Like you, uh, you know, every now and then going down the road, you'll come across like roadkill and you can't even stand the smell of that. Right. To, Imagine all those bodies over 20 bodies at, at, at different stages of decomposition at that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no, it's just, it's horrible. Yeah. It's horrible. And this is what's kicking off October for us, guys. woo So, we've got one more episode before we go on hiatus until January. Yes. So, the next one, you think this one's long. Who, buddy? <sighs> you think this is rough. Wait. Just wait. Because next week, we got a double whammy, and it's going to be so much fun. Yes. So, so, with that being said, we want to thank you guys for joining us on this wild ride tonight yes we hope that you enjoyed it yes and we cannot wait for the next one yes if you guys have any serial killers you want me to do some research on any books that you have um read that you think that would interest me because you know that i'm a i'm a murderino okay or if you have any kind of ghost stories that you want to share with Amy. And it doesn't even have to be ghost or stories. Or anything paranormal you want Amy to investigate, please let us know. Email us. Message us on Facebook Messenger. Um, please like like our page. Follow and us. We're over like 320 now yeah, on the page. Yeah, and that's like that insane. So some of you guys exciting. really like us. So we <laughs> really, truly appreciate that. Yes, thank you guys. And... Um, we got big things coming. So thank you guys for listening and we will see you on the next one. See you later. Keep it spooky guys. (laughs) Stay creepy.
This episode of Witches Be Like Podcast was written and recorded by Amy Throckmorton and Ashley Link. It was produced by the boys of Master POS Theater. If you want to get in touch with us, you got an idea, you have a theory, you just want to talk, you can hit us up on Facebook at Witches Be Like Podcast. Follow us on Instagram at Witches Be or drop us a line on our email at witchesbelikepod at gmail.com. You can find our podcast anywhere podcasts are sold. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Podbean, and the like. Thank you so much for listening, and we will see you on the next one. Stay spooky and always be weird.